This is Helpline on Helpline on Fee Play Love with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue. Take two. We're going to do our best to make sure we answer your questions today. Uh, we are dealing with new technology, so if you can just bear with us, hopefully we won't stop. But the same goes as usual. If you have any questions for Chris, pop your questions below in the Facebook comments here, or you can send us an email at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. We'll get first into a question from Kylie, who her she is due to have her second baby just after Easter. I'm booked in for a C-section. My daughter turns three this week. The hospital is already starting to function like it would during lockdown. My obstetrician is only seeing me without my hus- husband and the hospital rules have changed. So when the baby comes, my husband will be my only visitor. I've listened to many helpline episodes that I'm specifically trying to prepare a calendar for my daughter where she knows how long I'll be in hospital, what she will be doing and when I will be coming home. But what's put on those days on the calendar has drastically changed due to the coronavirus. Original plan was have baby on Wednesday. I'm with my husband all day while my parents look after my daughter at our home. Husband will be at home for all evening routines and overnight. Thursday and Friday, three-year-old in daycare while my husband is with me in hospital. Saturday and Sunday, my daughter goes for a sleepover at Nana and Pops and stays there for the weekend. She's done this before, loves it and needs to be bribed to come back home with cookies. Plan A is feeling like a distant memory now. Keeping my three-year-old in her normal routine is not possible. We have just made the painful decision to take her out of daycare as she's most likely to make us sick. My parents are in their late 60s, so I don't want to make her to make them sick. Plus, my gut feel is that closure is inevitable. I need to brainstorm plan B with someone wise and experienced. That's you, Chris. If daycare is shut and my parents can't travel to me, what are my options? My parents are only 20 minutes away, but it's the other side of the river. I'm in Perth. So a true lockdown might mean they can't get to us. Other family members may also not be able to get to us. I may be able to leave my daughter with my neighbours for a few hours so my husband can attend the birth of our child. Thankfully, our neighbours have twin two-year-olds and the girls all get along very well. Then he would need to be back to look after our three-year-old while I'm in hospital. But I should be supported enough in hospital that I can get through the first five days. Hopefully, I have more luck breastfeeding this time and can get that on track in hospital. And this is the second part that you were going to answer second after the first bit. If we are in lockdown, just the four of us locked in a house together with limited access to other people for help, what should we prioritise in the first month? And I'll, I'll just leave that there and ask the other questions and just flip back to that first part that Kylie was talking about. Um, that's such a tough situation, isn't it? When you've got a young one at home. It is a really tough situation. And I think you have to, like I work in a hospital in Sydney and we have contingency plans for this all the time. So the first thing I think she needs to do is um, she needs a plan A and a plan B. So I think she's good at looking at that. The plan A um, should go along. Um, If we don't go into lockdown, the difficulty is those days where she would have been at daycare. They will need to be days with dad. So, you know, dad will stay at home with her on that Thursday and Friday. Um, If she's distancing herself from her parents, which is really plan B, where she's got no support, she will need support for that time frame 
that dad will be with her at hospital. And that time frame from when you leave to go to the hospital, have the cesarean back up, is probably a good four or five hours. And um, I think in that case, I would do the two calendars, one with plan A and one with going next door to play with the kids next door for the day. And I think the really tough thing about this plan B is that basically that will have to be at home with her unless she can be dropped to the neighbours for an hour or two each day so he can go in and visit. So all hospitals are probably functioning along those lines. So the other things I would do is discuss this with her obstetrician as she goes to the next appointment and also ring the hospital maternity section and ask for what their plans are in relation to um, siblings coming in and doing visiting. So we have a contingency for that as well. Um, so I think she needs to, to contact the hospital she's going to ring through to maternity and they will give her the strategies that she can use. But I think in this particular case, dad will be at home with the toddler and he might be able to get that neighbour to help out each day so he can pop in for an hour and a half or two hours. And, and, and it's, it's times where things change really frequently and they could change again. But it, the, the uh, policy that that hospital has is the same policy that we have. So it's a sort of standardised policy that's going around in terms of visiting and visitors in across that maternity leave. So I think that one, she's gonna to have to go with the flow, but contact the maternity unit and discuss with her neighbor how much they could help out. Okay, and the second part was, if they're all in lockdown, just the four of us in a house together with limited access to other people for help, what should we prioritize in the first month? How do we stay sane? I have your book and I'm rereading it now. I'm just not sure if I'm going to struggle more with the toddler or the newborn. I'm not sure how to prepare myself and my family with everything changing so quickly. So it's a, as we all know, it's a fast-changing society that we live in. But the thing that I take from all these changes is we're now going back to actually realising what it's like to be at home and to slow things down. We're used to this really fast-paced daycares, working jobs, long hours, you know, pulls. Now we're all just slowing right down. So we don't know whether she lives in a unit or in a house with a backyard. Um, but I would certainly start to be prepared for it. And in the first month, in terms of the baby's feeding, the baby leads, just as it says in the book, and the feeds will be every three, two and a half hours to four hours. So, and that going around the clock. The thing about the toddler is they're not used to being confined to home. So we need to set up a bit of a rhythmic pattern for that toddler. That's a new norm. So it could be periods of playing outside. It could be periods at, um, when the baby's asleep of doing something with mummy. Um, so this is sort of new norm that we have to create for the three-year-olds, regardless of whether we had a new baby or not. And I think that takes a little bit of forethought and it, it takes a little bit of a setup. Have you got a craft box ready? Have you got a play box ready? There's nothing like a three-year-old girl and dress-ups. And, and I think we have to lead them into play, but we don't have to play with them all the time. We, we can just set them up and, and setting her up for something while you're feeding is really going to help. And trying not to fall into 
the big screen that they can watch all day and using that as a tool to help when you need to sit down and feed with the baby. So I think this takes a little bit of thought. The baby's not due till Easter, so she's got about two to three weeks um, going out to, you know, Big W and actually putting some some particular play puzzles are really good, some books. There's some great online stuff like, um, you know, like the, uh, the uh, oh, PE people. So they do their exercises in the house and they're doing it to music and movement. So sourcing all this and sort of getting a few things into place is really going to help those early weeks of being at home with the baby. Okay, well, good luck, Kylie. That sounds, it's going to, it's tough. <laughs> okay, this question comes from Erina on Facebook. Hi, Erina. Um, she says, hi, Chris. Uh, from five months old, my son started waking every three hours, where from four to five months, he would usually wake only once. My mother suggested he might actually be hungry and need solids. Surprisingly, he's been eating well, up to three feeds a day, and in, in the last couple of days has returned to sleeping well overnight. Is there a correlation? He'll be six months in a couple of days. I'm struggling to remember the best routine for feeds moving forward. When is the best time to offer feeds? At the moment, I time it around one hour after a breastfeed. Would you be able to give me an ideal routine? When is it best to start offering finger food? He's not my first child, but trying to remember what I did for my girls is one big blur. Any help would be much appreciated. Okay, so we saw a movement in his sleep at night at four months where he was waking every three hours. And that could have been due to a couple of different things. So if he's a breastfed baby, then it could be that your supply was dropping and he was waking more frequently. Now, the reason that I'm going down that line is you've said that if you give him three meals, he actually sleeps better. So that would tell me that I needed to go back and look at the feeding because that's probably what dropped off. So we know babies are more wakeful at night at four months but that was excessively from what he was doing. The three meals at five months is a lot of food at five months. So normally they're only having about two meals by six months. So you also need to be careful that we're not overfeeding him in the day and this behavior is going to come back and he's gonna feed more frequently at night. So you've got two avenues to look at here. One, if you're giving that amount of food, there's probably your supply has dropped because he is sleeping better, so the food is making a difference. But this could be just an immediate reaction from having food, and you might find in a, in a week or two that he starts waking for the milk that he wasn't getting during the day. So I would not be feeding him very much food at all in the day because it will interfere with the way he feeds. So if you're feeding him three meals, because normally I would probably only be offering one meal, but if you're offering three, I'd only be doing very small meals, like one tablespoon. And they usually would come at breakfast, lunch and dinner in that sort of sequence that we traditionally know as food. And the breastfeeds would be about every three to three and a half hours in the sequence. Now, if that holds him at night, I think you do have to look at the fact of what's going on with your feeding and you might have to consult with someone to look at that. Um, they don't usually do finger food till they're about seven months old. They have to be able to hold themselves quite upright and have that dexterity to hold that piece of finger food and bring it up to their mouth. And that's closer to a seven month old. So I think if what's working for her is working, then keep doing it until he's about seven months old. 
Okay, this next question comes from Rhiannon on Facebook. Help! My two-year-old two tantrums, turns, turned to in December, started over a week ago. We have always had the protest cries when told no on something, but it has now changed to where my little one loses his mind, throwing things on the ground, pushing you away if you try to hold him, and going for up to 45 minutes. He will do it for different things, from changing his nappy clothes, nap time having a nap time having a bath, getting out of the bath, or even after we wake him from a nap. Every day is different about what he reacts to. With naps, he was an amazing sleeper, never protested. Now he tells you no. We have to force him into a sleeping bag, which breaks my heart to do it. Without it, he tries to climb out. We leave him from 10 minutes of crying, go back in, pick up his teddy, uh, uh, back in, pick up all his teddy he threw out, and he usually lays down. We tuck him in, leave him then asleep within five minutes. With getting changed, we don't push the issue. And when he wants to go outside, I tell him, well, you have to get changed first. And he will happily do it. But daycare, OMG. He loves daycare and his carers comment on how they, um, how much they and other kids uh, are like they're happy they ha other kids like him are happy to come but the last two times he lost it my partner had to get my mother to help him strap him in the car seat still lost it here and tried to get out the door a week ago he has bitten and three weeks before that um, has bitten four times at once wasn't noticed by daycare because he never cries when he gets hurt okay so he's being bitten as well Currently, he's obsessed with the TV show Bluey, which I know is an issue we need to work on, but it's hard right now with being stuck at home a lot because we are usually out at the toddler time or playground. I'm hoping to get some ideas to help with the emotional tantrum and getting the daycare drop-off to be easier as my partner is doing on his own as I work in emergency services and haven't got the ability to be here in the morning. Routine at home was 7am wake, 12.30 till 2 nap, 7.30 bedtime. Daycare was having nap close to 1 until 2 until the last week we've been trying the new time. Please help! Just during this very trying time. And that's from Rhiannon. I think this little one, for that level of tantrum, I mean, two-year-olds have tantrum. There's no way of getting around that. And there's a real reason for why they have tantrums, pushing back, being independent, all of those sorts of things. But it's probably the level of them. So he's having them, seems quite frequently, every day. And he's, he's sort of out of sorts. So the first thing I do is sit back and reflect what might be going on for him. So if this has been happening for a week or two, and before that, he was quite able to cope, then I'd start thinking what might have happened. So is it about the fact that um, somebody at daycare might be just that, you know, just pushing him a little bit more, that bite that no one saw? Maybe he's feeling quite anxious about those separations into daycare and then that's feeding all of the behaviours. So that's one thing I'd look at and work with the daycare about what they can do. The second thing in general is that little two-year-olds need slow transitions. So they need things to take time and a little bit of a chat about what's going to happen so that if it implodes, we can do the right thing for him. So 
the getting in the car is, is a, such a common one. So I, I think in that case, I try and talk him into it. We're going to go in the car in a minute. Can you help me with your shoes? So you need to give yourself about another five or 10 minutes to actually get from the point of the decision to get in the car and get in the car and, and have him help you along the way. If he doesn't want to put put his shoes on, don't worry about the shoes at that time. Just put them in a bag. You can put the shoes on later. So the second or the third bit about this is um, choose your battles. Don't battle everything. Give it time. Give it patience. If he doesn't want to get dressed, the worst he's going to do is go to daycare in his pyjamas. So you've got, to, you've got to work out which are the important things. But I think when it's this chaotic, you've got to stand back and reflect and think what might be going on for him. So in terms of the getting in the car, I'd talk him, in, talk him into going into the car. Can you hold this for daddy and we'll walk to the car together? So it could be anything that he's holding. It could be your watch. It could be not your phone because you'll never get that back and not the keys because he'll lock you out. <laughs> But something, can you hold daddy's T-shirt and take it up to the car for me? So we'll walk together. I'll hold your hand. We'll go to the car. When we get to the car, oh, daddy's going to push the button so we can open the car door. Can you hold this and you put him into the car seat? Can you show me how you put your arms through those straps and help me? All of that talking helps him and it slows that transition down. But I think for this little one, for it to be so chaotic, there's something else going on. He sounds like he's getting enough sleep, so I don't think he's overtired. I think there's something, talk to the daycare and find out what might be going on. Are we rushing him too fast? Is there someone who's just making his day a little bit more difficult? Chris Minogue and Helpline on Feed, Play, Love will be back answering more questions right after this. Now back to your questions with Helpline and Chris Minogue. We have a question from Alicia on Facebook. Hi, Alicia. She says, hello, ladies. My six-month-old son is waking at 5 a.m. regardless of what time he goes to bed, making his first nap of the day 7 a.m., which isn't ideal. He does three or four naps a day, one and a half to two-hour awake times during the day. I have tried resettling him until 6 a.m., but it just isn't working and he won't go back down. What can she do, Chris? Um, I just keep resettling. So I'm a resettler. So I just go, I am happy for you to wake up at at five o'clock. Six o'clock is when the house is functioning. If you get too noisy, I'll be in there to help. It doesn't sound like anything she's doing in the day because she's keeping him awake um, for an hour and a half to two hours. Um, so that should give him enough sleep through the day. So I don't think he's overtired. So he would be having four sleeps in the day, waking that early in the day. So if he's going down between 6.30 and 7, I think this is a timing thing. And I personally would just keep um, resettling him. Otherwise, you need to be happy with the fact that he's a 5.30 baby and you'll get up at 5.30 and start the day. But the, the little message behind that is five usually starts to be 4.30 very quickly because he's losing a bit of sleep. So personally, myself, I'd stick at it a little bit um, and see if over time he starts to learn to go through till that six o'clock in the morning. 
Okay, good luck, Alicia. This one comes from Nita on, or Netta, sorry, however I pronounce that, uh, on Facebook. How do I get a two-month-old cat napper to connect sleep cycles? Currently only does one sleep cycle for each nap and wakes himself up. I sometimes pick up and rock back to sleep sometimes and sometimes can't get him back down. So at eight weeks, I'd start to also look at the fact how well is he feeding, how much time he's staying awake. So making sure that the feeds are good in relation to the timing and the effectiveness of the feed and the frequency of the feed. So that would be my first thing. The second thing I'd look at is the time awake. Is he in a pattern of feed, play, sleep? So feed, play, sleep, feed, play, sleep. So they're usually awake about an hour and a quarter, maybe an hour and a half, watching for those tide signs of grizzling and jerking movements. And then it is a matter of resettling. So um, I would pick two sleeps in the day, just so that you're not at it all day, but two sleeps, one in your morning window, one in your afternoon window, and I would resettle because we know in time that will help him to link those cycles together. But I would go back and look at your feeding first, look at your timing and your tide signs, and then go for the resettle for at least two of those sleep cycles in the day. Cool. Okay, the next one comes from Sandra on Facebook. Um, she says, my two-year-old is still waking up twice a night wanting to be breastfed. She eats her solids well. Could she be waking due to hunger or comfort? The longest, the longest she sleeps is five hours. So with a two-year-old, it's definitely comfort. So they don't, don't, they don't require those feeds at night. It, it's probably mutually something that's happening between mum and, and the two-year-old, which is perfectly fine. But if you're looking at weaning them down, um, then I think you have to first explain it to a two-year-old would be a good thing. Normally, if she was much younger, we would drop one and then we would drop the other one. But I think with a two-year-old, that can be quite difficult if you're going to say, well, you can have it here, but you can't have it then. So I think it's probably if you're ready for those breastfeeds to drop off, then I think you have to sit down with a two-year-old and say, now you're getting bigger, you know, you can take a drink from the cup, we can go out and get a drink of milk from the cup and have a drink and, and explain that we're not going to have the breastfeeds anymore. But for this one, we'd need to know if she was getting any breastfeeds in the day. So we need to work out what the message is. But generally speaking, as a two-year-old, she won't require um, feeds at night. Like they don't require milk feeds, bottle feeds. or So they just don't require the feeds. So I think this is a mutual awareness between the mother and the two-year-old. All right. Well, good luck with that, Sandra. Look, we've probably got time for just one more question. This one's from Ashley. She has um, her, she says, my 19-monther has been consistently waking at 4.50 a.m. for a few weeks now. Help! She started sleeping through the night about 14 months after we dropped her nighttime bottle. She has always slept until 6, 6.30 her whole life. She used to wait about an hour for breakfast but now she wakes up hungry for breakfast straight away. She has three small meals, two snacks a day, a 100ml bottle before nap and a 200ml bottle after bed. Not a big eater. We've racked our brains, but nothing seems to trigger this 4.50am wake up. I love how those babies just wake up on the minute. So bizarre. Maybe hunger. We've tried using a fan all night as white noise, tried shushing and patting, but she just gets riled up. When we pick her up, she never wants to fall asleep on us and cries, and cries until we take her out of the room. 
Bedtime is 7.30, nap is 11.30, which we are cutting to only one and a half hours. As on the last few days, it's been two to two and a half hours and three hours on a big day. So what can they do to stop them waking up at that ridiculous time? I think that waking up is a habit. I just think that's, that's part of the habit. So we'll get back to that. In the day, though, at um, 19 months, she does sound like she's eating well because she's taking three meals, two snacks and two bottles. So that, that's quite, quite good. And if there was a, a problem with the size, I'd probably get a, rid of at least one snack and one bottle. And the size of the meals would increase if there's, if there's an issue with that. And an eight, a 19-month-old would be going down at 12.30. So that might help too, because she'd be using more energy up in the day, not 11.30. So going down, even if we pick the middle like at 12, and she can sleep for an hour and a half to two hours. She needs to be awake by two. So I would probably put her down at 12 this week and get her up at two so we haven't made her overtime and then put her down at 7.30. Then I think that behaviour at 4.59 or 4.58 in the morning is just habit. But one other thing to think about is our weather is changing and whether she gets cold at that time of the day. And once she wakes up, they can't get her back to sleep because she's had such good sleep, you know, overnight. So have a look at that to see if she's cold at the moment at that time. Because I think from what you said, it's only a recent behaviour that's happened. So see, make sure she's warm. And then I think it's just a matter of doing a gentle settling. So going to the door and saying, put your head down. If she puts her head down, go in, pat her a few minutes and then walk out and tell her it's not time to get up. At 4.58, I'm assuming it's dark. I'm not awake at 4.58, so I'm assuming it's dark. So I would just use it as a, as a resettle as if it was 2 o'clock in the morning. So mm. go to the door. Put your head down. Mummy can give you a, card, a, a pat if you put your head down. Just teaching her to go back down again, giving her a pat for comfort and then walking out. So I think she's food-wise, she's doing okay. We could change her sleep a little bit. Um, you could probably drop one of the snacks if you're having difficulty with her dinner, if you didn't think it was enough, and a bit of resettling, and that should get her back on track again. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we've got time for, Chris. Oh, thank you. Our first webinar. I think you did. we did quite well, don't you? Yeah, I think we did really well. <laughs> so apologies if we didn't get to all of the questions, but given this has done so swimmingly well this week, we will be back doing the same thing next week. So if you have any questions, um, if you're whether you're watching us live on Facebook or if you're listening via the podcast, send your questions to helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Of course, we will be, we will be back at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. So if you want to join us live on Facebook, that's the time to do it. Pop your questions below. And please don't forget that if you want a one-on-one -on -one with Chris Minogue or with any of our other experts, you can still book through Sleep School, through Babyology, and you'll have a one-on-one -on -one session with those experts. We'll pop links in the notes of uh, this live so you know where to go. Um, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.